Welcome to the Animation Happy Hour. A podcast about breaking into the animation industry over a couple of drinks. All opinions and views expressed in this podcast are solely our own and are not representative of the companies for whom we work. So my name is Garrett and I'm currently a character animator at Disney. My name is Katie and I'm an apprentice animator at Disney. And my name is Ben and I'm a character animator at DreamWorks. And today we are sipping on some Mai Tais and some lovely beers from Mr. Gerber himself. Thank you. So today for this episode, we're really excited because we're talking about animation reels. Um, We have a super special guest today. Uh, Guillermo Carriega is a veteran DreamWorks animator who not only is an amazing animator, he's also on the reel review team at DreamWorks and has looked through tons of reels. So... Literally, Guillermo couldn't be more qualified for this episode's topic, and we thank him very much for coming on. So thank you so much, Guillermo. Thank you, Thank you for having me. Yeah, so to start out, it'd be great just to give our audience a a brief intro on who you are, where you come from, and your kind of your history of coming into the animation industry. Sure. So uh, I am originally from Paraguay in South America. And I've been working at DreamWorks for 13 years. Oh so gosh. the word veteran is very generous, but also very accurate. Because I feel very old. In this industry, that is very old. So, um, yeah, uh, I pretty much knew that I wanted to get into animation since high school. It was the only thing I know how to do. I have no other skills. So I basically had a very single-minded uh, focus to get into animation. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I traveled to Seattle to take a course on introduction to computer animation. Wow. And it was two weeks long. And um, I basically opened, um, it wasn't my at the time, 3D Studio, whatever the primitive Max version 3D. of that was. And I created a primitive sphere. And I just thought it was amazing that like nice. anything that you could conceive in your mind, you can create in 3D. Yeah. And since then, I was hooked. I'm like, this is what I want to do. So after finishing high school, I went to Ringling College of Art and, and Design. Where I stayed for four years, graduated there with a bachelor's in fine arts with an Mm -hmm. emphasis in computer animation. And since then, I've been, uh, yeah, I was hired right out of college to work at DreamWorks and I've been here since then. What? Right out of college? Yeah, that's (laughs) very unusual. Yeah, that's super cool. So we are super excited to have you on because this is honestly one of the most important topics for animators or artists interested in pursuing a career in this industry. Um, You know, we talk about this in other episodes, but your reel is really the most important thing that studios are looking at when considering you for a job. Um, So, you know, today's episode, we're going to be covering things like, you know, what studios are currently looking for in animation reels, uh, things to avoid on your reel, uh, tips and tricks on how to put a reel together, and a ton of other stuff. We're sort of doing it in like a top 10 format. Guillermo has provided some amazing tips. Mm -hmm. So, um, maybe we'll start with the basics. So, so Guillermo, what is an animation reel? I would say a demo reel is a compilation of your work, showing your very best work with the hopes of getting a job at the studio that you want. So this is not just any compilation, but it's a um, tailored compilation suited for the studio that you're aiming for, hopefully. It is basically the resume in visual form of your animation skills that you want to present to the studio that you're applying for. So typically they start with a title card, which I think is pretty standard that you give your name and um, your phone number, your email address, a website, possibly if you have a website. And is, is there anything else you guys can think of or is that pretty much the basic info? Yeah, so it usually begins and ends with the contact information, right? So you'll have a little title card, and then you get into the meat of your reel, which we'll talk about more in the 
further on in this episode, but generally it's anywhere from like a minute to a few minutes long, and then you end with a title card. And the whole purpose of this is to show off your skills as best as possible and basically provide uh, with the title cards to uh, allow whatever studio to get in contact with you as easily as possible. And it's worth noting in the show notes, we'll have a, like a bunch of examples of reels. So if you're not familiar, yeah. you can mm-hmm. take a look at Yeah, I guess this is a good time to mention also that this episode will pretty specifically focus on CG character animation. For feature, Um, probably. Yeah, Yeah. what the demo reels would entail for that specialty. So in the future, if you, you know, want to contact us and you're in a different specialty and you'd love to get some advice on whatever reel it would be for your specialty, we'll, we'll definitely look into getting people that we work with onto the podcast to give more tailored advice for your discipline. All right, so without further ado, we have the top 10 animation tips from Guillermo. Okay, so the first tip is quality or quantity always. Mm-hmm. And I've seen different numbers floating around in different like animation sites of how long should your reel be. And anything from like a minute and a half to two minutes, three minutes, etc., etc. Really, I think it really depends on how much work do you have. If you're a veteran animator who's been in the industry for a while, probably your reel should be a little bit longer. I don't know, two minutes and a half, three minutes seem like a good duration. If you're a junior animator, you would not be expected to have a reel longer than a minute, a minute and a half. Mm -hmm. I think the paramount thing to remember is that the quality, obviously, of the reel is what really will sell um, your work. So if your reel is super short and we have more questions as recruiters, that's okay. We'll probably look at your reel, be impressed by it, and then reach out and ask, well, where's, do you have more work that you can show? Is there anything that you're working on currently? Do you have work in progress that we can see? So that's okay. Yeah, don't worry about not showing absolutely everything that you're working on. Just show your very best stuff. And then if there are more questions, the recruiter will make sure to contact you to see if there's more. But yeah, definitely do not show just for the sake of fulfilling some arbitrary number. Like, I gotta get my reel at a minute and a half there for I'm going to like just insert this one shot that I'm not super proud of. Yeah. And then you end up you end up hurting your reel um, because you want to make it longer, but really doesn't help with the quality of it. And I think I've, we've seen a little bit of this where we have some very senior animators show basically like the entire, um, their entire body of work. And we are seeing shots from like, I don't know, like Prince of Egypt all the way to like, oh yeah, you gosh. basically see like the history of animation through the reel. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> So the thing is that you see Shrek 1 and like all the Shreks and etc. So the thing is that... And you say hired. Shrek exactly, one, yeah. Clearly, yeah. yeah. You, you show Shrek in your reel, you get hired immediately. <laughs> Just kidding. So for better or for worse, some of these older films, they may not age as well, perhaps. Oh, right. Or maybe like there's some uh, rig improvements or lighting improvements. Uh, yeah. there's, a, there's a sort of a presentational thing that we have to keep in mind. Maybe they weren't rendered in the highest quality and when you upload it, it just doesn't look as good. Mm-hmm. So these things, like it's nice to see that you have uh, a history in the animation industry, but I would definitely consider taking those out and maybe just showing your most recent work unless there's something amazing that you've done in the past that really helps you. So definitely quality over quantity, always. And another thing to add to that is uh, what kind of rigs you use. Again, this presentational aspect. Um, There are rigs that are available for free and a lot of people use them and you see them all the time. Mm. And there are some rigs that are more appealing than others. We have this joke that, for example, if we were to show a reel from, say, someone at Disney, the rigs are by default. Exactly. It's kind of like unfair (laughs) because the rigs by default are so beautiful to look at and the model is great and the lighting is great. And so... 
you almost can obscure the animation quality because of it, yeah. because the, the, the rigs are so awesome. So that goes, I think that applies as well to rigs that are found on the internet. Like yeah. if you find a rig that is free, but might not be the most appealing rig or the one that deforms the best or something that has been used uh, before, mm-hmm. I would recommend try to find something that it, it just looks good and your animation right. shines because of it and not uh, in spite of it. Do you think there is something to, if you use a rig that's been used so much, you know, if you manage to like to push it in a way that is super appealing, kind of stands out, that can be a, a plus. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, how did you make that rig look good? Like- Absolutely. <laughs> and we have seen that exact same case where oh, we see wow. a rig that is very familiar and we can recognize it, but we can see how that person has tweaked that rig or added clothing to it or changed the texture, the surfacing. Just little things. Exactly. Kind of, to make cool. it their own or even better, to make it fit the context of the shot. So that's great, you know, to to do that. That's so really anything useful. you can do that also shows that you understand um, just design, you know, just like character design, appeal in shapes, mm-hmm. uh, shape language, and stuff like that. So that actually shows an additional skill that you have that you, you're not happy with just moving a default rig around, but you, you you're striving to create appealing shapes and appealing, you know, facial expressions with a character. That's super awesome. That's a really good tip. Like if you have a little technical know-how and you know how to kind of do a little bit of rigging or a little bit of changing around the rig, like a little bit of tweaks could help a lot. Absolutely. So Guillermo, one thing I wanted to talk to you about in particular is the order of your reel when you're putting it together. I know there, there are usually two really distinct schools of thought that you come across where some people are like, no matter what, have your best stuff First, and your reel should basically be quality-wise in descending order, right? Where's the best shot, second best shot, third best shot, all the way to the end. And then some people say, no, you should start and end strong. So it should be like your sandwich best shot or second <laughs> best shot, and then kind of, you know, your pretty good stuff in the middle, and then end really strong. Do you kind of have any stance on that, or, or how do you feel? I struggle with, with this because I understand <laughs> the psychological effects that you want to create when you have, of course, a very first impression. Yeah. You hit play on that reel, mm-hmm. and you see something amazing, and that already you're, you're excited for this person. You want to see what's more, uh, what, what's coming. Um, but I also understand with ending a reel with a very good impression because that's your lasting memory of that reel, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I'm of the school of thought that can we just do reels that are consistent? <laughs> to be honest like sometimes it is a bit of an emotional roller coaster where you start really strong and then clearly this person has uh adhered to the school of thought where you start really strong and then you have like not so good stuff in the middle and then you kind of like go back up again and you feel that you know as a reviewer as an interviewer as a recruiter um so any effort we can make to just have it be consistent that would be great but i understand this is a very subjective thing and you know even if you show your reel to your friends they might have different opinions um so yeah i suppose the idea of having these 10 poles of having very strong work at the beginning and at the end uh, would help at least from a psychological standpoint to remember the best <laughs> very political yeah, yeah, for sure. cool. and i think you know we had we want to mention this later on too but i feel like it's a good point now to say we absolutely understand that a lot of the people listening to this right now are probably students. So your selection of work is quite limited, probably right. depending on, you know, how much experience you have. So you might not be able to fill out your reel with all, you know, killer, amazing work. But I think, you know, I think we, we've talked about this in the past, but the people looking at your reels are human beings <laughs> and we can take that into account. And I think, you know, if Guillermo is reviewing a reel of someone who is obviously a student and it was, some strong work and then kind of some mediocre, some strong again, like 
even though, yes, we're all striving toward, you know, just a killer reel throughout, we understand, right? Like, mm. that's taken into account when you're looking at a reel. Is that, okay, this person's clearly a student. They probably just don't have a ton of experience. And, yeah. So, we just want to say, a, yeah, a sympathetic. Yeah. We understand <laughs> not everyone is, you know, has three minutes of rock star animation. Absolutely. And again, if there's this notion, if it's an encouragement to anyone, that if you show maybe just two shots that are very promising, that show a lot of potential, mm-hmm. um, you might not be hired on the spot, but your name will be on a list of people mm-hmm. to look out for. So it might be the case where a recruiter will say to you, hey, anytime you have new work, keep us updated. Mm-hmm. Update your reel, let us know, send us a new link. That will absolutely happen. That's and so great. it's almost as important, maybe not to submit a reel that's, amazing and that's ready for you to be hired right away but also to just keep or rather to establish that point of communication with the recruiter where they're already sort of like impressed by your work but they want to see more and you just kind of constantly feeding on that until you're finished with whatever online school you're taking or whatever other projects you're working on Uh, so i think that's that's a good thing to remember right that you might not be fully ready to submit a complete reel but whatever work you have if it's promising they will take it into account I'd be curious to ask for our student listeners, are there any exercises that you see on a demo reel that kind of automatically cue you into knowing that, okay, this person is a student and maybe they're not quite at the professional level and maybe this is sort of a red flag for they're not ready for professional work? I think something that comes up often is when you see acting shots that have the movie dialogue in the background playing and you just see the same gestures being played out over and over and over again. Mm. Uh, I think these are very immediate signs that, you know, the student is not thinking about specificity in acting Uh, mm -hmm. um, or you see the same uh, body mechanics uh, exercise, like a character pushing or pulling an object. Uh, And it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, very fundamental uh, lack of understanding of how physics work or weight, you know, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So these are the signs that would tell us, okay, we're not there yet. You know, mm-hmm. we kinda, we'll, we'll check again later. And you know what? That leads beautifully into our next point, which is, I'm going to speak for Guillermo here. <laughs> oh, Favor great acting ideas over polish. That's right. That is tip number two. So by no means, I mean to say that you should not polish your shot in order to favor acting ideas. But I do think that um, as a studio, it is very valuable to look for a person that can not only animate and polish super well, but can actually come up with ideas that plus the shot. Ideas that um, are... Uh, that fits the character that you're animating. Ideas that make it funnier, more entertaining, more dramatic, etc. Whatever the shot needs for someone to come up with something that adds to that, I think that's a huge thing. We have seen reels where the animation wasn't fully realized, but we have seen very unique, very... Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, just original ideas being thrown in there, whether in the acting or just in a way that the shot is being handled. And that is very memorable. And we know that this person can probably, with training and with the right sort of mentorship, anyone can polish a shot, right? Like eventually... You can learn. Exactly. You can learn that. It's a very technical thing that, you know, can be acquired. But the idea part, I think, is huge. And so I would definitely encourage people to think of ways to plus their shot from an idea standpoint. We're working on a film right now um, which is an idea film, they call it, right? Where the polish um, 
has to be simplified a, a bit to match the style that we're going for. But basically, every single shot is an idea shot where whatever you can think of to plus the entertainment, to plus the comedy is highly valued. And the directors are actually giving quite a bit of freedom for people to do this, to extend shots, to like change up the, the dialogue. And so um, I think that's great. And I think it's a huge skill for someone to display in their demo reel. It's interesting because it reminds me when I took a class at Anim School, um, they had us before we even, it was a body mechanics exercise. Before we even started it, they were like, come up with or think of 10 scenarios and we'll whittle it down to one. But like literally the process of coming up with like 10 kind of like mini stories and like, what's the most entertaining story? Like, like that process of coming up with the idea is kind of overlooked sometimes. We just want to get in there. Oh, like let's do that. Animate that dialogue. But like, um, kind of be selective about the clips or dialogue you want to use or the exercises you do. Cause you're right. There's a lot of cliche, same old stuff. Yeah. And I think I was going to mention this later, but since you were mentioning like being selective about the dialogue clips that one selects, for some reason there is this, um, uh, preference to selecting dialogue that where the character is angry. And so there's a lot of demo reels where there's just a lot of anger and that leads to the character just (laughs) screaming. And so you're watching demo reel after demo reel and it's like screaming, 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 screaming. When I was in school, in college, studying animation, we had one assignment in which we were forbidden from having the character be angry. Because that's mm-hmm. an wow. easy emotion to to go oh, to, right? And it's very animatable in a way. Like if someone's angry, uh, just like yeah, yeah. you, you have a, an opportunity really to push things yeah. and exaggerate. And so we were banned from going to anger. Anything else uh, was free game. <laughs> and so really I would fun. almost yeah, you know pose crazy. a challenge <laughs> yeah. to the different people that are working on their on their demo reel when you select um, a a uh, dialogue piece. Uh, go for subtext, go for emotion, go for comedy by all means, you know, but maybe anger might not be something, you know, we, we've seen it you know, quite a bit. Um, and if it is anger, it better have something unique about it where you can sort of layer in another uh, emotion, another attitude on top of the anger because, yeah, it's just a bit, we've seen it. We've seen know? it done, yeah. yeah. That's, so, that's so good here. I don't know if I've heard that from someone before, yeah. but just thinking through, like, I mean, my own reel from when I was a student, another one, I... Yeah, that totally makes sense. (laughs) Which we'll include in the show notes. That's right. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. um, Speaking of that, actually, you said something there I wanted to extrapolate on more or ask you about more. um, In that you said, you know, go for subtext, go for something else. And I remember when I was a student, a lot of times I would make the mistake of I would choose a dialogue clip that had like a really funny punchline or something. But essentially, the character was in the exact same mental state the whole time. Mm. They, they like delivered it totally straight to camera, no inflection, no emotion change or anything like that. Um, but I was like, oh, it's a funny line. They're going to like this. Could you talk a little bit about that versus like maybe a shot where it might not be a great catchy one-liner, but there's a change of emotion or some thought process and just kind of the way animators in a room look at it and mm-hmm. stuff they really like from a shot versus don't like from a shot like you just talk a little more about sure that. yeah i think one thing that really draws us into a shot is the situation that you place the characters in so for example i remember vividly this one shot where i think it was one of those like funny lines kind of shots where they chose it from some funny movie i forget which one but for some reason they had the character delivering this line and there was like a corpse in the background so all of a sudden like this whole layer of story was added and this whole context and you watch the shot and the very first frame already implies 
there's so much going on here and the funny line begins and like mm. already you have like so many layers to work with mm-hmm. and so the the comedy was there but the animator worked in such a way to add a little bit of creepiness in there <laughs> and like the sort of like what were the intentions with this character with a corpse in the back and I think he had like a weapon or something That's so awesome. there's a lot going on right and of course that feeds into the character thought process and it, it might even add a whole new meaning to that line where you're used to seeing that in the movie mm-hmm. where, where it came from but the, the animator had a, a new twist to it so I would say like yeah the situation whatever context or situation you can place these characters in and whatever extra subtext you can add I think those are huge pluses that can definitely make a shot that would otherwise be very generic be very rich and fun to watch mm-hmm. totally do you have any thoughts on the recognizability of the dialogue clip like does it if you like know immediately who the actor is or what the show or movie was do you have any like thoughts on that that is a great question because inevitably as soon as you recognize the line of dialogue you will start comparing with the movie mm-hmm. and so I don't know. This is just my personal opinion. I would rather choose something that is a little bit more obscure or unless you have this amazingly fresh take on an otherwise very well-known line of dialogue, I would go for that. But personally, I would just go for something that hasn't been heard before because it just feels more original, more fresh, I guess. Totally. This is sort of in in line with what you said about um, you favor great acting ideas over polished a little bit. But like, what are your thoughts on seeing a reel and seeing... Uh, reference or in progress like blocking in the like in the reel is that kind of a don't do that or I don't think it's necessary because all those questions will be asked in the interview so when we see a reel we do want to see like the finished piece we just want to focus on the the end result and then uh, if the recruiters are interested then we can ask all those process questions in the actual interview which is actually very fun to find out um, Uh, how you did this part how you know we'll definitely drill into those aspects Uh, we don't need to see it in the demo reel itself do you think it's important at all for people to put work into like the lighting and the rendering of their animation reel or is that like fairly irrelevant? I think it's a great question. And the question to ask yourself is, does it enhance or distract from your shot? So if the lighting adds a certain mood that actually accentuates the tone or the acting that you're going for, go for it. If it actually distracts or if it's not properly lit or if it's actually just just looks wrong don't even worry about it like again a play glass is fine if you want to work on like the character's hair like it's again if it's distracting if it's ugly maybe you want to embellish it a little bit but again we're just looking at the animation and you want to make sure that all these other elements um sort of enhance it Mm -hmm. it's funny i feel like that even applies in the professional environment too like i'll notice like even when you're submitting a kind of our equivalent of a play blast to the director rounds. There are some characters where I will like run Sims for the hair and stuff and somewhere I won't. And it's totally just, you know, you just want to make the best impression and no one's going Mm -hmm. to be like, you know, Oh wow. The, the, you know, the Sim on this shot or this character is simmed and then the hair on this one, three shots later, isn't, they're just going to say, okay, it's animated. Well, so we're interested. I totally agree. And I think personally, the worst thing you can do is start caveating your shot so much where it's like, Oh, ignore this. And that part isn't ready. And this part just doesn't look very good. And like you start, giving this explanation that delays just hitting the play button. And what you want to do is just introduce your shot you know, as briefly go. as possible and just hit play and let the uh, shot speak for itself. So I agree with that. Like just already make it presentable and just make it easy for the director or whoever to just watch it and not have mm-hmm. more questions. Does the sound quality of the dialogue clip matter at all? Like I feel like I've heard demo reels where 
the audio clip kind of sounds like, oh, maybe you recorded this on your phone from a video because like you couldn't steal it from the YouTube clip or something like that. And does like, yeah, does the audio ever take away from the animation or does it not really matter? I think it does. I think it, it, it does matter significantly. And I think it will distract if your audio is poor quality. So something mm-hmm. that I have noticed in Reels is volume levels, where oh, at the beginning mm-hmm. of the show, there's just no volume at all. And so we're wondering, and the animation is playing. And so we crank out the volume and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, that's where the dialogue begins and it freaks us out and that's not a good impression you want to get so please please check your volume levels uh-huh. or have some sort of like transition you know there's a way to like yeah. kind of fade into the, the dialogue and stuff like that um so yes great question definitely check your audio quality because again the better the quality the less it will distract mm-hmm. the less it will call attention to itself it's almost like if you've done it right it's people don't notice it. exactly whereas yeah. if you've done it wrong it's like ah there's a difference between quality <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> cool Brings us to number three, Guillermo. Number three, make it easy, please, to access your animation. And I have a story about this. That we have had reels in which, or rather resumes, in which the person sends a link to their blog or something. And so you have to go to the blog and then find the right date in which the blog oh entry God. that has a reel has. Oh you access that, then it's password protected. So you have to email the person to ask for the password. They give you this password that's insanely long. You type in the password, you get it wrong. You type it again, they send you the wrong password. Anyway, it's a nightmare just to see oh this reel. You don't want to do that. I'm stressed out. Just remember it. So please, please, please make it very easy easy for the recruiters or the animators to watch your reel. Remember, we're probably watching hundreds of them. Um, you want to make it as easy as like click one link and hit play. Exactly. Yeah. If it does need a password, and of course, that's totally understandable if you're showing stuff that hasn't been released yet, make the password easy, make it your name, make it demo reel 2019, whatever <laughs> it's easy to remember, because yeah. we are looking at a ton of them. And so the more easily we can access your real the more we like you already if if it's hard if it's hard to get to you we're like okay it better be worth all this work (laughs) so yes please um answer it is i love dreamworks exactly hey we'll we'll take that in that that is a boost yeah do it that's a bonus we have talked about vimeo as well that seems to be in my experience the preferred platform for uploading stuff it is true youtube is a bit of a wild west in terms of content but also Uh, i i think vimeo has just better quality and it seems like Again, from a presentation point of view, um, you just have more professional work in there. Um, yeah, YouTube, you just have like with all these algorithms, ads, yeah, 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 ads I or totally. like you know, the next video coming up, you know, Baby <laughs> Shark for ten hours or something. Like, you don't want that in a real re- review. So <laughs> it's it's a good thing to keep in mind. It's kind of like it seems like a common sense thing, but then you see situations where you're like, okay, I don't know what link to click on for <laughs> for this reel, right? So that's a it's a really good thing to keep in mind. Tip number four. Make it not only easy to access your animation, but make it easy to actually watch your animation. And this is a bit surprising to say because uh, we've gotten a lot of animation, a lot of reels, sorry, from VFX artists. And these are shots that are very dark, that happen at night where the lighting is very dim. And really the animators don't know what kind of room or what kind of setting will be watching these reels mm. in. Maybe the projector quality is not great. Maybe the screen is not the brightest. And so if your reel is already dark in terms of lighting, mm-hmm. uh, we might not be able to see your animation at all. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so it's very much okay to just show Play Blast. Like whatever... Um, it's clear. Sh- exactly. Right. Wh- whatever state your animation is the clearest in, 
please show that. This is also true for shots where there's just a lot of effects, a lot of like other stuff going on. Like I think it's very much okay to get rid of all that if it's possible and just show the character moving. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a really, really good point because I could so easily see someone being like, oh, I'm just going to give like the final frame and or the final look of the movie and that's what's going to sell it the best. But yeah, if it obscures your animation, then it's really hard to or really hard to judge your work. And yeah, it's exactly, a really yeah. good point. We've seen reels as well where um, in addition to the animation, we just see a lot of text and understandably people want to clarify what aspect of the shot they worked on. And so we see just a lot of text and a lot of like breakdowns and stuff like that. At all possible, if at all possible, I would try to simplify that. Uh, if you're showing mm -hmm. shots for context, I would just very easily desaturate the shot that's before you that someone else worked on. I think that's by now a very... It's kind of the norm. It's a universal yeah. thing that's standardized across studios. If it's black and white, you didn't work on it. We get it, right? And if you need to further clarify something, you can always like put it in your resume or maybe just uh, very mm -hmm. like small text at the bottom. But we just want to look at your animation. Like, you know, Don't try to... like obscure any of that with any of extra uh, information. So maybe now's a good time uh, to kind of talk about the process of a real review and like what that actually looks like um, in terms of like who's in the room. Is it recruiters? Is it supervisors? You know, how many people are in it? Is it just a projector? Like, what is it like? Because I think it's useful probably for for people looking to apply to like students or anyone who's applying to jobs, like w just to know how their reel is going to be presented in the yeah. room with people. It's such a mystery, right? You su you submit it, and then you're like, okay, how uh, who exactly is looking at this? How is it done? I imagine you all gather around a Ouija board and like kind of. <laughs> that's that's absolutely right. Yeah, okay. we actually never look at the reels. We just <laughs> let the Ouija board choose <laughs> You pick them out of a hat. <laughs> Yeah, like, what's that like? So, uh, yes, we, again, I can only speak from my experience, but it is a mixture of recruiters, the recruiting team, and animators from different different levels of animators. So we have the uh, head of character animators, we have supervising animators, and we have just animators um, watching all these reels. Oh. And again, like, different genders and different backgrounds to try to make it as diverse as possible. And then we have someone from the recruiting team actually lining up every single reel and just being ready to hit play and all of us watch it, you know, back to back. Um, we actually have, maybe this is... Um, standardized in the industry but uh, we have a sheet that we look at with um, numbers so the first reel second reel etc etc where we can write our comments and at the oh, end of okay. it we kind of compare notes and kind of talk about it uh, but I think what cool. we do is just kind of watch them all and unless there's questions or comments we just do just the go. whole thing and then after that we kind of go back and go through the highlights because um, there's at least you know when we were looking at them there were a ton and so we we need to be efficient with our time um yeah, so that's why we, we have like this sheet and we make notes and talk about it afterwards. I think it's worthwhile to know, at least or what I've heard about the studios I've worked at is typically the first line of defense is the recruiters. They get like thousands of demo reel entries. And I think the recruiters are the first people that really whittle down the applicant pool. And maybe they bring it down to like 80 reels or so to review with the actual group that would be in that room, like the the supervisors and whatnot. And then you go from there to keep whittling it down. 
That's totally accurate. Yeah, exactly. Especially after events such as CTM, for example, where we uh, get like a mm -hmm. ton of reels, the recruiting team is in charge of sort of filtering out the reels that, again, are not quite ready or they see these, mm -hmm. you know, so-called red flags where, you know, just the mechanics are not there, the acting's not quite there, or they're just not, you know, the, the kind of reel that we're looking at. It might be great work, but it's just not the kind of reel that we're looking at. I know that for the modeling department, the recruiting team actually had to say no to actual modeling reels where people submitting, <laughs> people submitting, and this is not, this is oh true story, gosh. people submitted their actual photographs, oh my model gosh. photographs. We literally to joked a about that. We did make a joke, yeah. <laughs> has happened. And so, That's... yeah, we get, apparently we get all sorts of submissions and then the recruiting wow. team, it is that first wow. uh, sort of filter before we get actual, you know, relevant work <laughs> to us. <laughs> Is it blind, like the names? Like, do you see um, the names of every person that you're looking at? Or is it, like, do you see that title card? Or is, does it vary? I think there's an effort to definitely uh, keep it blind. Uh, and again, for there not to be any bias when we're watching the reels. And we just want to focus on the quality of the work. Um, to be honest, it's not entirely practical because sometimes the you know title card will just show up and we can't right. stop the video in time and stuff like that. But it is definitely less of an issue than, than I was anticipating because we, we do actually just focus on the work and then, you know, whoever the reel belongs to, we look at that later. Do you find that, or I guess I asked this question for our students again, like, is it ever useful to know if the applicant worked on anything other than the animation? Like, I think I've seen a lot of reels where students include shots from their student film, for example, and probably in a lot of cases, they modeled the character, they rigged the character, they textured, they lit the film. And is that useful to know or is it just not relevant when you get to this level of feature animation? I think it is good to know, yeah. And whether you put that um, maybe as a very small text, like at the bottom mm -hmm. of your shot or if you include that in your resume, it does help us know, even though at DreamWorks and at most major studios, we do want people to do the one thing very well, like it's mm -hmm. very departmentalized. Um, it is useful to know that you have other skills because you will know how to communicate with other departments and you oh, will understand yeah. how mm -hmm. other departments work. And you might even, during pre-production, help out with rigging stuff or modeling stuff or you know, stuff like that. So it is always you know, this thing we call like department empathy, where uh. <laughs> you are aware of what other departments do Aww. and you sympathize oh, yeah. and you, you, you're just a good team player because of that. So yes, I would say definitely mention that one okay. way or another. You can yeah. even come up with an interview um, mm -hmm. where we have definitely ask people to explain more like okay so we know that you did all these things uh, in your short film or in your shot can you tell us more about these skills that you have so while we're discussing um, avoiding things that distract um, from your in this case character animation work if you're applying to be a character animator somewhere one thing I wanted to bring up, and we want to do it sensitively because it's kind of like a fun joking thing that exists in the industry, but there's kind of this stereotype that the more intense and crazier your title cards are, the worse the animation is. <laughs> and obviously, that's not true for everyone, but Guillermo, can you kind of explain the, the whole logic yeah, that behind whole that? Myth. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The mythology behind that belief. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly the right wording. <laughs> I don't know if I can attest for people's intentions in like preparing a very elaborate title card, but personally, from my point of view, if I see a very elaborate, epic, animated <laughs> title card, I'm thinking to myself, this animator 
is very confident. <laughs> they are very confident and their anim better, their animation better show up for it. Like their animation better match the time spent and the effort put into the title card. And if it's the opposite, I will have serious questions to ask uh, in the interview or or uh, in other formats. But uh, yes, I would say going back to the title card, uh, keep it simple. That is totally okay. We just want to see the animation. Um, if you come to DreamWorks, you will not be doing title cards. We have other people to do that. You don't have to worry about that. Um, so it is okay to leave it simple and let, let us just enjoy your work. Totally. Yeah. And that goes, that goes, that's also true for um, music. I know that's a, and we'll talk about editing and kind of like telling a story with your reel as well. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, music can be kept simple and you actually don't have to have it. If your shots um, have standalone audio, like each one of them have their own audio, it's okay to just kind of like cut from one to the other. Mm -hmm. Maybe you want to like make it a bit more seamless and add some sort of effect or something. Like That's fine, right? But it doesn't have to be elaborate. You can keep it very simple, the whole editing and the sound editing as well. Nice. Yeah, because it takes a lot of time too to make that title fancy title card and it's time that could be spent obviously towards bettering your animation. Right. Yeah, that's right. And I think yeah. Guillermo said it well there where it's you know you're not automatically disqualified but it's like <laughs> okay you're really building something up here <laughs> better be good yeah exactly. really deliver so why not maybe err on the more humble side <laughs> but, absolutely i would agree yeah, with that tip number five tailor tailor your reel to the place you're applying for and that goes without saying but if you're applying for um, a feature animation studio or a video game studio or any kind of studio re you really have to do your research and make sure that your reel represents the kind of work that this studio is doing so as an example at dreamworks we have had a lot of great animation um, of animators that have submitted uh, reels that had cycles so characters walking characters running which for a gaming environment that would have been great but to us it doesn't really do much good because we are looking for acting we're looking for performance and rarely perhaps never you animate a shot in which the character is just running in a cycle you just don't do that um, additionally we've had reels where um yeah, people do a lot of like mechanical, like body mechanics and just a lot of um, characters moving around. And even though they're great, uh, if the acting is lacking, then it doesn't help us a lot because, again, we just focus on the acting. Um, it is interesting to note that um, the kind of movies that we're currently hiring for. So, for example, last year we were hiring for How to Train Your Dragon 3. And we'd seen a lot of like fantastic reels, but the reels that stood out were the reels that had creature work in it. So if you had any sort of like big monster, dragons were obviously a, a huge, um, you know, appealing thing to look at. Uh, but yeah, those definitely fit with our current needs. And if you know that in advance, that's a huge advantage mm, a to have, tip. right? Again, like also the, the tone and the style is huge. So right now we're animating on Trolls 2. And if we were to hire for this particular show, um, reels that have very realistic animation or very naturalistic style, uh, they might be great, but they're just not suited for our needs at the moment. So we are looking for the more cartoony. And I think that's true actually overall for our studio, even though DreamWorks is known for a studio that changes the style quite a bit and we have quite a diversity of styles uh, within our movies, we do lean a bit more towards like comedy, kind of like pushed animation in a sense. And so if you can show that and show that, yeah, I can easily see you in like a Madagascar film. I can easily see your animation within a boss baby or something like that then that is a huge plus mm. if you do your research and tailor your reel according to the studio that you're applying for mm -hmm. that is awesome um do, in terms of variety like 
do you think it's useful? Like you mentioned, like DreamWorks kind of, they do a lot of different styles, but uh, having something that would fit with Boss Baby or Madagascar, like if there's a reel with like everything, is that's obviously ideal because then they're like, oh, they can do every style. Exactly, or, yeah. I, yeah. I will say, you know, I was just thinking of that and I'm glad you brought it up that it is good for us that you show a diversity of styles, that you are able to handle different styles because that's essentially what we do at the studio. You might be working on a Trolls movie and it's super um, cartoony yeah. and pushed and exaggerated and then in the next scene would be something like I don't know Rise of the Guardians or something like that where it's a lot more naturalistic or How to Train Your Dragon or even Kung Fu Panda in a sense is a bit more naturalistic and has a different approach to it so we need animators to be able to switch you know, from one style to another and be versatile that way and if your reel is able to show that versatility huge plus for you that's awesome How important is it for, like, the content of a reel to kind of match the brand of the studio? Because I remember when I was at Leica, it was super interesting to learn that they actually weren't that in favor of reels that had, like, really dark and gory stop-motion content, which stop-motion, you know, people kind of naturally, like, gravitate towards it to (laughs) produce, like, really creepy animation. But um, perhaps, ironically, Leica actually wanted to prove create like family content and so they actually didn't favor those reels when in their applicant pool so how, how do you find that at dreamworks that is a great question and i think again we don't rule anyone out immediately if we were to see some more i don't know i don't want to say adult content because that could mean anything but definitely like more gory stuff or darker mm-hmm. themes um but it will bring up questions okay. and i will look mm-hmm. forward to seeing different things uh, things that are different from that tonally and thematically Uh as well Mm -hmm. um so yeah again like really know the style and the tone of the studio overall and um try to make it fit so i remember from being in school that a lot of people would kind of have a little bit of a mix on their reel you know especially when you're a student you're encouraged to do some stop motion some 2d some cg Um, How would you react or do you have any thoughts on if you were to see an applicant and maybe their whole reel is not CG um, and they have a little bit of something else on there? Do you have any general thoughts on that? Yeah. So as a studio, again, we're mostly interested in CG. So definitely show that. Having said that, it wasn't very frequent, but we have seen reels with mixed media. And it helps, especially if the quality of set mixed media matches the CG. Mm. So that's huge. Uh-huh. So, for example, we've seen a very strong CG reel and then they have like a little bit of a 2D animation at the very end. That's huge because that shows us that you could be the person that could provide drawovers for people and like, uh-huh. you know, just kind of um, help them with appeal or better shapes or just, you know, that kind of that background helps a ton. But we need to make sure, of course, first and foremost, that you can do CG animation. So it doesn't hurt to add it, but... Again, the quality better be up there with CG. Yeah. Number six, tell a story with your reel. So this is something that is a little bit of controversy. And I remember talking about this with, at the time, the PDI animators when all of us were working on our reel. And that is like how much to uh, embellish your reel as a whole, whether it's just show the animation, keep it as simple as you can or whether you can do something with the editing. And I think there's something very powerful when, again, if you have that body of work, if you're a student and you have like one or two or three great shots, like you might not be able to do this at all, but you have a significant amount of work that you can play with the editing. I think it's something very powerful about building up 
your shots emotionally, tonally, for there to be an arc in your editing, almost like a movie trailer. Mm. And so we've seen reels where um, we started with the action sequences and then like we have like this crescendo until it ends with a very emotional piece. And then we have like a sort of release and then we end with like quieter, more slower shots. Uh, again, you need, you know, obviously the library to be able to build this, but when that kind of reel is built and you're telling a story or you have an arc or some sort of like progression through it, it's very powerful. And it again, from a presentational point of view, it's, it's really cool to see something like that, right? So again, if you're able to do this, if you're a student, don't worry about it. But if you have the body of work to actually edit your reel with music and um, with the right timing to build a story, to tell something with it. I think that's really cool and it'll definitely make you stand out from all the other reels. Yeah, that is so valuable. Again, like you said, if you kind of have that body of work to be able to do that. And I think it goes back to what we talked about before where these reels are being reviewed by human beings. You know, I I feel like I remember as a student, I always saw it as like, oh, I'm submitting it to the Pixar Disney DreamWorks computer now and they're going <laughs> to analyze my work and like... <laughs> It was these like scientists who were seeing like, you know, like on calculations of, you know, <laughs> but no, it's, it's people seeing it. And, and yeah, if your real works, it's this beautiful, nice piece together, together and it ends powerfully. That's ultimately going to stay with someone so much more and, and speak to the reviewers so much more than one that's just like, okay, chop, chop, chop. You know, even though it's like great shots, it just kind of disjointed. This one runs into this one weirdly. And now it's really intense. And now it's sad back to intense. And uh, there's a lot to be said for that kind of the, I don't know, like the soft skills of the real, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like communicating to you on almost a subconscious level, I guess, mm-hmm. um, that is very real and, and important. Absolutely. And, you know, following up with that point, we can go to tape number seven, consider the wow factor. And by why factor, I mean, what is something in your reel that is memorable? What is something about it that is unique? And I would highly recommend people who are thinking of working on their reels to just look at as many reels as they can. Mm -hmm. And they'll actually start finding patterns and similarities and Uh shots that are kind of similar. So you really have to ask yourself, what is the one thing that I can add to this that will really make it stand out? Um, so one of the ideas is to you know tell a story with your reel. Again, if you don't have the body of work, you can't do that. But is there something in your shot, an acting choice, some movement or some mannerism or some gesture that is really different from everything else we've seen? And I think that it really stays mm-hmm. with us. Um, one thing that I've noticed after watching hundreds of reels is that actually comedy stays with you mm. and so we would actually remember reels that caused a reaction in us and especially the reaction of laughter <laughs> so if we watched a reel again that it wasn't fully fleshed out fully polished but it has something like really funny really unique we would go back to it and just check That's double awesome. check again. Yeah, it's really cool and again it goes back to the point of fitting the tone of the movies that the studio works on. DreamWorks, family entertainment, for the most part, comedies that we work on, right? And so that again, like if you have like some sort of quirky, you know, like thing that you can add to your your animation, that that stays with you, you know? Um, And maybe more than just the polishing, because again, polishing is great and that's something that could be taught. Um, But again, it's the idea thing. What is the the wow factor? 
um, in, in your reel. And going back to, again, the presentational side of things and definitely the psychological effect that these scenes can have on the spectator is, you know, if we're constantly seeing the same rigs, if we're constantly seeing the same movie dialogue, and again, we talked about shouting, there's just a lot of shouting that goes on for some reason <laughs> in the demo reels. We're all so angry. Can you, exactly, we're just angry animators <laughs> trying to work in this industry. Um, if we're seeing these patterns constantly over and over again, what can you do that is unique? And not just that it's unique, like hopefully something that reflects something about who you are. Yeah, so I think that's we just go into another conversation here. Like your voice as an artist, right? Uh. What do you want to say with your animation? I think that's huge because not only does it let us know that you're a good animator, it lets us get to know you more, and that's mm. huge, right? To be able to display some sort of personality or point of view, you know, with your animation. I know that sounds a little bit abstract, and no, you know, as absolutely. a student, you maybe just want to like, I just want to get this like, no. you know, body mechanics uh, exercise out of the door and just polish it and get done with it. But really consider these things, like how to make it unique and how to wow, you know, the the. That actually reminds me of like, what do you feel about seeing like a short film that someone has made? And obviously, like part of that is in their reel because I think a short film is probably one of the most like intimate ways to know some like there's it's so personal mm -hmm. um and you know you just said like yeah like and it, it's it's who you are kind of is in the animation so i wonder like do you ever see short films in reels or do that do you get ever just get sent a short film absolutely so usually within a reel we would be sent uh clips from the short film because usually the short film the short films tend to be a little bit longer mm -hmm. uh than the the, the reel duration and so the great thing that they do is like they just put clips that are the best animated or that showcase right. the best kind of skill. And then within the link of the resume, they put a link to the entire short film. And so uh, if there's interest, we can easily, again, easily, hopefully, access <laughs> this short film right. and look at the entire thing. And again, that gives us more insight into who you who are, are, what yeah. what subject matter you chose as an animator, which is great. On that note, I, I mean, we kind of talked about how the real reviews worked, but I'm curious to ask, like, how often do you visit someone's website or like pull up their Instagram or like how, how much stalk like, them? Yeah, how much stalking <laughs> do you, you do during the recruiting process? So maybe two part one, you personally, and then when you're <laughs> but, <laughs> me yeah. personally, always everyone I spend so many hours all looking at all the social media you may have. Just kidding. But yeah, like in in the conference room, like how often does do you pull up like someone's website? Or okay. Well, it would be great to look into everyone's personal life. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, due to time restrictions, we can't. So again, we're looking at hundreds of reels and we have to be efficient with just the work that we're looking at. If we start picking the people, people of interest, then we start digging a little bit deeper. Okay. And so recruiting does most of this where they would do the sort of like background check, so to speak, <laughs> social media, stuff like that. But I would say if you are able to get an interview with us, definitely at least personally, I would look into, you know, Ooh, what's going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's interesting. So you would already provide the resume, your website, but I'm curious to see, like, Instagram, do you have, like, a profile there? Uh, Is it appropriate? Is it appropriate? <laughs> exactly, yeah, maybe. Like, because I want to, like, to be completely honest, I want to be able to ask questions that are relevant to you, that are specific to you, and not just the generic, like, oh, what did you apply here kind of thing. Like, yeah. I want to get to know you as an artist, uh -huh. and I need to know as fast as I can whether you're going to be the right fit or not. So your Instagram can tell me a lot, your social media can tell me a lot, and anything you put on your website can tell me a lot about that. We have 
usually at DreamWorks at least, um, we have a rotation of interviewers. Mm -hmm. So different animators would, you know, kind of take turns in interviewing a person. So I have half an hour to get to know you. That's not a whole lot. No. And I know that a person with their infinite complexities, like we're not <laughs> able to capture the totality of their personality in half an hour. So yeah. social media helps in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so again, whenever I have time, I would do a little bit of digging, not to the point of it being creepy, <laughs> but a little bit of digging, just enough so I can have more questions um, that I can ask you. That is so valuable. Oh, I absolutely. Think, though, because I, I mean, just... I remember as a student, it feels so far away, like the professional setting, you know, and, and you know, to think that anyone at, you know, DreamWorks or, or Disney or Pixar, or any of the top studios is would ever actually see anything I tweet or anything I post on Instagram or anything like that. It just, it seemed ridiculous, you know, but the reality is if you are applying and there is some sort of interest, you know, again, we're all human beings, we're all curious about each other and we will look at that stuff. And, you know, even when, I'm always struck by even when like our first trailer comes out for movies, like everybody wants to know how it's being received. So we go on to YouTube and we look at the comments and stuff. So you're going to remember if, you know, like Patriots fan four, three, two was saying, <laughs> F this movie, this is, you know, Dumb. why are they make DreamWorks sucks? Blah, blah. And then they're applying for this job <laughs> later. Like people are going to remember that. Like that is very yeah. real. And it, it yeah. might seem, kind of obvious i don't know but as a student i always felt like there was a bigger disconnect than there is yeah. um but yeah actually being in that world now it's like no everybody very much pays attention and especially recruiting they usually have quite a rap sheet on on people by the time it comes to you know like interviewing mm -hmm. and stuff um they really do do kind of a deep dive i remember when i um interviewed at dreamworks i was really surprised because simon otto had known he brought up like some drawings that I had done and they were totally not part of my like resume or demo or, or anything. And I was like, Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> I felt like so exposed, which is ridiculous to say because I had put it online, but at the same time it's, you know, yeah. it's kind of double edged sword. Cause on one hand it's really cool because it's like, okay, if the studio is interested, they will take this extra time. But mm -hmm. also it's kind of a word of caution that, you know, be you know, careful. People look. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Be careful what you say out there. Yeah. And without getting into controversial questions about privacy or a person's, you know, <laughs> use of the internet and stuff like that. Um, uh, yeah, it is a very, very real fact that things that are public, you know, on the internet are public. <laughs> you should yeah. know this. And, you know, things can be tracked mm -hmm. and there's a history there. But also adding to the sort of background check. And I wish you could see my uh, uh, air quotations, quotations going <laughs> background check um, two fingers in each hand again, so like, pumping them the, yes. <laughs> thank you for that third description um, this is a small industry people yeah. know each other like there aren't that many studios at least at least the big ones so if there is a name that's floating around that someone has worked with or someone knows like we will ask and we that's a very sure way of finding out like how is this person to work with mm -hmm. you know so again keeping an eye on not obviously reaching a point of paranoia and like not being yourself or putting a face or something but <laughs> gosh just be nice to people <laughs> yeah. be professional and all this and you know your, your reputation will precede you and you know, if there's no red flags that could prevent us from talking to you then great you know that's awesome but um but yes you know that we all kind of sort of know each other but very few degrees of separation and so yeah just being mindful of that i think we've kind of beautifully touched on number eight I just kind of organically went oh, into yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> but uh, it's worth, Guillermo, to uh, reiterate the actual point. 
Point number eight: <laughs> professionalism and good attitude are as important as the real. That goes without saying. Beautiful. <laughs> so again, like once we are past the demo reel review parts, and you might be contacted for an actual interview. And again, we're not looking for some sort of like stand-up comedian to make us all laugh or to impress <laughs> us. We're just looking for a normal human being that we can talk to and that we can envision working well with, right? Um, having said that, we have had interviews that were a little bit challenging in the sense that also good to notice that a lot of these interviews might happen over Skype or over like some sort of video conferencing. Mm -hmm. So there is an extra Awkward. layer of awkwardness right, right. <laughs> that you have to be mindful of. So maybe make sure that your microphone is working, your internet connection is great. Yeah, you need to make sure that this is all yeah. mm -hmm. fully set up before um, having that conversation. Um, so being aware of that and also just being ready to ask questions, being uh, proactive. So we come in with questions ready. But there will be a point in which you will be asked, do you have any questions for us? Do you have any comments? And we're hoping that it can just be a fluid conversation yeah. where like we say some things, you say some things, and it just, it's just a sort of like fun way yeah. of knowing one another. But it does get challenging. And we have had this where we're asked a question and there's like one sentence answers oh. and there's just silence afterwards. And we run out of questions oh, after the first gosh. five minutes yeah. and then no one knows what, what to say. That's so and it's very unfortunate because this person's reel might be amazing and we really want it to work. We really want to work with you. We just need you to show us some sort of like social yeah, aptitude. <laughs> <laughs> just the bare minimum. Um, so again, like we know, and I, I know this for a fact, we know that everyone's nervous yeah. in the interview. You are nervous. We are nervous. We are very nervous. To be coming <laughs> here, just so that you're clear on that. Um, so that's okay. You know, like if you, you don't have the perfect answer, if you just kind of like, you know, ramble for a little bit, that's okay. We do that as well. But again, if you're just able to show like the interest and um, the ability to just, you know, ask questions and be able to answer the things that we're um, asking, I think that's, that's a very good starting point. And I think people should aim for that. Totally. I mean, we're all, there's times where we have to work crazy hours and we're all together and we get some horrible notes from dailies or something. And we're like, oh my gosh, my work sucks. You kind of have to have that elasticity as a, as a person in this industry. Cause there's so, there's a lot of stuff that goes on during production. For so. sure. And in addition to that, like animation is very collaborative, right? Yeah. So you should be able at least, you know, to be able to work with your supervisor and, and most to be able to share your work with your peers and be able to take notes, give notes, share ideas, brainstorm, etc. That is very much a part of what we do. And yeah. so um, we don't, again, we don't need you to be the super extroverted, talkative person, but the ability to bring up a shot, the ability to just, you know, toss ideas around. Um, and then, yeah, you can go back and be the introvert that you want to be, like most of us are. That's okay, but we're just asking for like the bare minimum to be able to work at the studio efficiently. Totally. Yeah. I think a really good question that, you know, you, that probably comes up when you're interviewing someone is, am I comfortable putting this person in the dailies room with the director and having them kind of interact with the director one-on-one -on -one directly? And, you know, sort of red flags that I think pop up when you're considering that question is, are they talking over me in the interview? Or mm. are they sort of criticizing the work of somebody or, or a studio or a movie? And just, yeah, just kind of those very basic yeah social aptitude questions of like are they going to offend someone or yeah or do they seem like socially aware and and yeah are honest and genuine genuine yeah. and yeah just kind of with it or down to earth yeah 
I love what you mentioned about criticizing other studios because we have had experiences where we're asking these people like, so we know you're in the middle of a crunch right now. Like, how's it going? And their immediate reaction, like, this sucks. This is the worst thing. Like, this studio, like, and... You know, by, this could be very true. <laughs> you might have a very accurate description of the situation. But again, the question arises like, man, if you're so negative about the studio that you're working in right now, would you be the same were you to be brought, you yeah. know, like in right. this too, you know? So again, not being fake, being authentic, being genuine, but like, is there a way in which you can frame your answer mm-hmm. in such a way that it's constructive? You can say like, oh, it's very challenging right now. And I think that, it, you know, maybe next time it would be better if we do A or B or C and stuff like that. So just framing things in a way yeah. that, you know, show mm-hmm. that you are, you know, an <laughs> okay happy. person. Yeah, you're a positive person <laughs> yeah. and that person has ideas to improve things. But we don't want someone who's like, everything's great everything's happy that obviously you know cannot be true for <laughs> yeah. for, for anyone but yeah we just want honesty but honesty that is constructive and positive you know yeah mm-hmm. tip number nine so what happens if after you show your reel after you have the interview after you go through this whole process you don't get the position and tip number nine for me would be don't get discouraged it was a bit eye-opening for me to learn that there are so many other factors that go into saying no to a person mm. other than their demo reel. Mm. So your reel could be amazing and you can be an amazing fit for the studio and the studio can still say no. And that has to do with timing. It has to do with schedule changes. It has to do with like someone else um, sort of like, you know, being available and taking your spot, mm-hmm. so to speak, even internally. And so um, I, I need people to know that if you get no for an answer, it may very well not have anything to do with your reel. It, it could be. Maybe you do need to work on your reel mm. and you need to like keep growing as an animator, which is entirely valid. But um, don't be discouraged. You know, definitely keep working on that. And as a very practical note, ask the recruiter, like, what were the notes that were given to me? What kind of feedback can I get from the recruiting team so that I can improve and, and keep working on that? And you will get an honest answer because we want people to grow. We want people to improve. We want to hear from you again, right? So totally. um, unfortunately, and again, obviously um, keeping things anonymous, we have had emails where after hearing a no, we get a bit of a response and it's yeah. like maybe not like the nicest thing. It's like, I was really hoping for this, but you guys, this it's or that. Not, like, a good that idea, not a good idea. Objectively. Not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always, always like, you know, thank people for yeah. their time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I would love it if you can give me some feedback. Uh, I understand that it might not be a right fit right now, but in the future, I would love to try again. Yeah. And the recruiter would be more than happy to provide this feedback. In fact, while in the room, we were told, oh, this person emailed me back. The recruiter would say this, uh, asking for feedback. What can we tell them? And we Perfect. would happily provide the notes. You know, that's amazing. Very happy. Yeah. So, so good to hear. Um, yeah, do not give up. And the other thing I want to add to that is really ask yourself if working at a big studio is really the best thing for you. Mm-hmm. So I know that when I was in college and uh, kind of like being ready to graduate, Pixar, Disney, DreamWorks, Sony, Blue Sky were the five you know, meccas of animation. And if we didn't get into any of those studios, you might as well just have wasted your four <laughs> previous years in college. Um, and the more I'm in the industry, the more I'm learning that there are very valid and very good alternatives to working um, in, in a big studio. Totally. I have a friend, for example, who's doing freelance work remotely for a very, uh, a very big studio. 
um, and he's loving it. He's working from home. He's able to spend time with yeah. his family. He gets to choose his own schedule, and he absolutely loves it. He he is doing very well for himself. And again, not the kind of lifestyle that is fitting for everyone, but he is loving it. And I'm right. so glad to see that there are alternatives like this. I have another friend who also has the, the freelance uh, life, and his goal is to work maybe four or five months a year make enough money and then the rest of the year he just works on personal projects That's which awesome. I think is awesome I think yeah. it's amazing and again like when I was a student I would never even conceive of such no, ideas like sure. never in my life could I see myself like what do you mean work half a year no way That's I need awesome. no bills to pay it is possible again yeah. like, different experiences for different people but mm-hmm. if you get a no from a studio maybe consider like is this really for me or should I start looking at other alternatives? Smaller studios, indie studios, even studios that don't provide entertainment, like educational material. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I've seen like animation that in the medical world that looks really cool and actually has a really um, great impact on yeah. people, like actual, you know, like social <laughs> impact besides entertainment. Um, so there are options out there and I would just encourage everyone to not be discouraged by a no and just you know, consider all your alternatives before you apply again. We love to bring that up on the podcast because that is a, a thing that a lot of students, it's, it's yeah, it's Disney, Pixar, DreamWorks, and it's, there's so much out there, especially with VR and like mm-hmm. all this new media and right. Netflix. There's just so much, so many studios out there. So if you get a rejection from a studio, you first have to know that sometimes just because of the sheer number of applicants, you might just get this generic email, which actually I fully understand it might just hurt because you don't get a personalized, you know, custom, sorry, your name, we couldn't, you know. Um, please don't take that personally. Again, it is merely for the practical reasons of reaching out to everyone. So do not take that uh, personally. Uh, and also, if you're really interested in the studio, if you do get a rejection, that by no means means that uh, it will never look at your stuff again. In fact, I have seen people come at CTN several times a year, and there's almost like this ongoing relationship with the studio where they keep us updated with a new reel, with improvements, even saying like things like, hey, I, I've addressed the notes that you guys had last time. What do you <laughs> yeah, think now? Which is awesome huge. to see. That is super memorable. And in fact, I know for a fact the recruiters remember people. So mm. you see them again at CTN, you see them again at other events, like, oh my gosh, it's so-and-so, like, how are you mm. been, you know? And then they have, like, new work to show. So um, that that's huge, and that is very valuable. And it shows, you know, resilience, it shows that, I mean, it sort of encapsulates the work that we do as an animator. You get notes, you try again, you get notes, you try again. Yeah. It's that sort of iteration oh, that we do. So oh, if you're able like. to do that, so even outside the studio, that's a really good yeah, um, sort of, like, step. skill to have already, yeah, <laughs> which is great. Um, but definitely, um, if you get a no as an answer, uh, keep trying by all means and ask for feedback and keep sending it. And I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, when you're first applying, it's very possible that you might not even hear a reply at all. And I think it's, it's a pretty, you know, clear sign that you're probably not really in contention for the position and you're not necessarily a part of the qualified pool of applicants, but by no means should you give up. Just keep going. I know of plenty of animators at Disney who are now like super heavy hitters who maybe they're even supervisors that before they got accepted at Disney, they applied like eight to 10 times or who knows what. So absolutely don't give up. And I I think in our industry, especially perseverance is rewarded and resilience. Like you said, Guillermo, it's it really does speak volumes, like just never giving up and applying feedback and notes. It's it's a marathon, not a sprint. 
Someone said that to me. Wise words from Gary. <laughs> no, it was Stuart Shaw from Blue Sky. He was oh, like, really? when I sent him my reel, he was like, it is a marathon and not a sprint. And I think That's it's cool. so true when you're yeah. trying to get in, like... It's a long game mm-hmm. <laughs> of improving your stuff. I would just add maybe as a little anecdote to so that. Last year at CTN, I met someone whose reel uh, was, was very promising. You know, definitely um, a, a beginner's reel. And I asked him, like, oh, what were you doing you know, before this? And he said, I was an accountant. Wow. <laughs> and I decided wow. in the middle of my career to try for animation. And I thought, that's amazing. That is awesome. <laughs> and I can't wait, hopefully, to see this guy again at what a CTN or whatever next event we meet up with. Because I would love to see his progress. He was yeah. very promising but stories like that are the ones that are memorable and the ones that show that clearly there is potential in everyone mm-hmm. anyone can cook I mean anyone can animate <laughs> <laughs> tip number 10 send your reel for feedback definitely before you submit uh, it is always a good idea to show to friends people in the industry whoever you can have access to um, to get feedback on your reel and so ask questions like is it too long is it too short are there any shots here that you don't think fit yeah. is the flow okay um, is anything too jarring too distracting basically every single point that we talked about <laughs> ask the question if you are following these right and yeah. hopefully you would ask someone uh, with an honest answer please don't ask your mom or your sister because <laughs> your mom would love it I know your mom would love it <laughs> as she should but yeah definitely ask someone with an objective view uh, to give you um, yeah an impartial opinion of what you're can we give them your like, email, Guillermo, to send? Please share great. my email with all your listeners. Actually, Ben, you have a really good story about when you were applying to Pixar and you reached out to someone at the company. Yeah, actually. So speaking of this, um, this kind of fits under the overarching point of, yes, definitely show your reel to other people. And then more specifically, if you're applying to a specific company, company and you're able to show your reel to someone at that company, that's even extra valuable. Um, because even though ultimately, you know, the top studios, they're generally looking for very similar skills in a character animator. Each company definitely does have their own unique little eccentricities and things that are, things mm-hmm. they're probably looking for. Uh, for example, when I was a student and I was applying to an internship at Pixar, I reached out to actually one of the kind of top dog animators there and to his credit he it was super nice and responded um but on my reel I, I basically had this really big crazy physical shot and it was the first shot i had on my reel just because i thought okay it's the most impressive thing i've done by far it's like this really crazy thing crazy camera work uh but he got back and he said hey this is great but just so you know when you're applying specifically to pixar we put much more emphasis on the acting than anything physical. So maybe just for the purposes of this internship, I would put that a little later in the reel. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, so valuable. And and it's so true that, you know, even though studios might be a 99% similar, Mm -hmm. um, they, they each have their own little one. Yeah, exactly. One might emphasize uh, cartoony animation a little more than another. One might be into, yeah, if it's DreamWorks around Dragon's Time, maybe it's creature stuff might be a little more important. Um, So if you're able to do that, which in our, you know, current climate with social media and and all the, yeah, the wonderful internet, uh, usually animators (laughs) are only an email away. Um, yeah, Yeah. See if you can, if you can contact someone from the company and, and if, you know, you're lucky, they'll get back to you and give you some pro tips. Totally. Can I add to that? So speaking of being able to reach out to um, animators within the industry, 
but also going back to the professionalism note, um, if you are if you are able to get in contact with someone in the industry, um, by all means consider that they are giving from their time in order to give you feedback. Mm-hmm. And these are people that are working full time and perhaps are teaching and perhaps have other commitments. Family. So family exactly. So <laughs> they have no obligation to yes. answer to you. And if yes. they do, this is a bit of a treat. You know, it, it is a bit of a privilege. And so what I would do is um, try to use those emails in a way that is respectful, in a way in, in ways that you can ask very specific questions of what you're looking for. I am right now dealing with an exchange in which someone was interested in the industry and they just asked me um, one sentence email without saying like, hello, so so just sort of like, Mm -hmm. tell me about your story. I want to know about your career. I'm interested in illustration and animation. That's it. Mm. I'm like, okay, so uh, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? And so I kind of have to like dig it out a little bit more. Whereas if I were to get an email from someone say, look, you know, uh, you know, a- a- address to me and like, I know you're a dreamer, so I'm a bit more specific and my goals are this. Can you help me with that? I will be a lot more prone to help you out because you're already giving me a great platform to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose a very generic question. Um, and definitely do not ask me questions if you want to work at an, a different studio than the one I'm working <laughs> at right now. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's a really, I mean, it sounds funny, but you wouldn't believe how many times Ooh. people reach out and you know, to like a DreamWorks animator and say, hey, I want to work on the next Spider-Verse at Sony. And it's like, that's awesome. I totally support that. But maybe you should be like emailing someone from Sony who worked on Spider-Verse. And again, it's totally cool to have your specific goals and no one is really going to you know, value you less as a person or get mad at you for wanting to work at a different studio. I will. (laughs) Except for Guillermo. (laughs) But especially for like the first email to someone, you probably don't want to say that (laughs) because it's like, okay, I have nothing to go off of. I don't know you. And you're telling me you don't want my job. You want to go somewhere else. So it's like, okay, well then talk to someone somewhere else. It's Um, super similar to like, I've heard this is a classic mistake of college applications is that you'll write your whole essay Essay, and then you put the wrong school in yeah. the yeah. application that you're submitting. You say, oh, that's why I want to go to this college. And it's the wrong uh, college. And it, it's pretty much the same exact thing. Yeah. <laughs> also, if somebody says, I might almost caution people to just go more general with it too and say like, hey, I really want to be a feature film animator or something like that. Because it also, if someone were to say that to me, it shows kind of an awareness that it's very difficult to break into the industry. So it's sort of ridiculous just to be saying, I only want to be at this feature film studio. And if it's no other, I'm not interested, you know, and it shows a little humility where it's like, Hey, I want to be part of this world, but you know, and and I'm willing to do it any way I can. I don't know. Do you you feel Uh, like that's valuable to (laughs) keep it a little more general like that? It is very realistic what you're saying, but I think again, like, and not at all contradicting what you're saying at all, but just, sure. again, from a psychological point of view, like, if I'm interviewing you and I'm asking you, like, why you want to join DreamWorks, mm-hmm. I hope to hear, because I love Boss Baby 1, and I, you know, I want to work on, <laughs> oh, like, sure. the next franchise and stuff like that. So, <laughs> again, like, maybe something just satiate our own, I don't know. <laughs> ego. Uh, ego, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, certainly. Um, but it's, yeah, 
yeah, yeah. This is you're, just to yeah, add on to your... because you're so handsome, your Guillermo. I want to be a part of that world. <laughs> That's what Guillermo wants to hear. Come on, just tell it. <laughs> I'm saying you stay to human resources. After that. Um, <laughs> but absolutely, That's Yeah, a good the point. specificity of yeah. like the reasons why you want to reach yeah. out. Totally. Or, you know, like and especially yeah. by the time you're having an interview with a company, yeah. oh, you yeah. want to be talking about why that company is the best one for yeah. you, for sure. And I remember when we were applying to companies out of school, we made a point to kind of look up what the upcoming projects were and how exciting or how excited we were to potentially work on those projects and what they meant to us. So that, you know, that speaks volumes on, yeah, your ability to do research and know about the company. Yeah, It's not that hard to go to a studio's website and just know, like, what's going on. I mean, yeah. like, a lot of these things, mm-hmm. if they're not announced years in advance, they're leaked or I don't know. <laughs> the information is out there. Yeah. So, like, if you spend 30 seconds on, on Google, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a story where we asked uh, one person that we were interviewing, so, so what kind of films are you interested in? Oh, I really, I know you guys are working on Abomination, and I love Abomination, <laughs> and Abomination is really my jam. And we're like, Good try. <laughs> so again, like definitely not like a deal breaker by any means. You don't have to say the title right, but it was just something that was memorable. Yeah. That's funny like, though. I yeah. feel like that's. That, I feel bad because that, that could totally be. I could totally do that. It was definitely more of a comic relief than anything else. But uh, these are the things that we remember. You know, yeah, you're yeah, able to, yeah. to mention it. Abomination. Something I wanted to mention when we were talking about sort of reaching out to animators in the industry is if that animator gives you feedback, please take it and apply it. I've had people <laughs> kind of reach out to me for feedback and I, you know, I, I will spend a lot of time like writing it up and sending it along and then they'll reach back out, you know, a month or two later with their new reel and they haven't applied any of the <laughs> feedback. The same thing. So you kind of, I mean, it, it seems like very basic, but I, I just want to mention it because it's happened because, you know, ultimately it kind of shows like, oh, maybe this person isn't worth my time if they aren't, mm. you know, taking my advice and, you know, it's not really worth writing up a second really long email and, you know, and then it, in the professional setting, it kind of also speaks volumes to, will you take notes when you get notes from your hoka or the director or not, or will you just kind of keep going and on your own path? What would you say is the most memorable demo reel piece you've ever encountered or demo reel as a whole? Uh, one if any stand out. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so for sure. And what's amazing nowadays is that there's a ton of incredibly talented animators out there. We were very impressed. And there was this running joke, which I think is more of a reality than a joke, that if we were to put our demo reels out there, we would not be hired for our own, our own <laughs> companies if we were to compete with these animators. They're just great. And it's actually quite a joy to watch them. But I remember a couple of reels and one in particular. The name of the animator escapes me, but um, he worked at Sony. There was a lot of uh, angry bird shots. Mm-hmm. And every single shot was hilarious so already you can see like the gag like physical gags in there like the you know they were storyboarded probably or they were written in the script but he was able to take this and just add some unique again quirk or unique moment to it that had us laughing from beginning to end wow. um and actually we had a nickname for it like funny i forget his name but like oh funny sam's uh real have we looked at funny sam's reels like, oh yeah funny <laughs> sam. Like, he's funny sam right like so he was definitely remembered you know throughout wow. the whole team wow um, and these are the things that just make it Again, I don't remember the polish. I don't remember like the actual, like, I don't know, if the arcs were perfect or all, the, all these technical things. It didn't matter because it was hilarious to watch. Mm. And again, at the time when we're looking for animators who want to work on like Boss Baby, Trolls and stuff like that, this would be perfect because these are the kind of movies that we're working on at the moment. 
Since I'm in the apprentice program at Disney, I'm curious to ask, how do the real reviews differ for someone who's applying to the apprentice program at DreamWorks versus like a staff animator position? But I believe we call it the development program. Oh, right. Disney <laughs> development program. There you go. That's right. Sorry, we have to distinguish it from That's Disney. Right. DreamWorks, <laughs> trademark, register. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it's a similar idea where we want to bring in either junior animators or people who have been working in the industry before and who have left for different reasons and are now um, willing to come back. So these are the two categories that we are sort of keeping in mind uh-huh. when looking at them. So we do have kind of separate meeting altogether and definitely the expectation is we're not looking for polish. We're not looking for like some amazing like, you know, so like super, uh, we're actually not looking for that very long reel anyway because you know they're junior animators Mm -hmm. we are looking for potential right Uh, so again mm -hmm. that thought of like can they come up with ideas is a real unique are the ideas here fresh and are they able to understand like the the basics of it Mm -hmm. um and we have actually hired some amazing animators whose reel was not fully polished but easily they they learned that at the studio Uh so again yes the expectation is very clear when we're looking at them like this is very much for the artistic development program and we hire accordingly Mm -hmm. are you aware of dreamworks doing that program anymore like like because i know disney does that kind of Mm semi-frequently dreamworks has done that recently but we talk about how difficult it is to get into feature animation as a junior animator at least in the states and are you aware of any uh, are they do you think dreamworks is going to do that again yeah so the short answer is officially no i'm not aware that this is happening again so um in the industry everything's so volatile and all of a sudden we're not working on any films and all of a sudden there's five films in production and so always the studio the studio will hire depending on their need Um, and that changes from one day to another and so the artistic development program of last year i know it was a resounding success and everyone had a great time it was a little bit stressful because there's a lot going on but every animator that we had in the program they passed it so to speak and they did amazing work and we love all of them and so again if the need arises i'm sure the studio would be open to considering doing another artistic development program and they're really good at announcing these things so before ctn or before any sort of event they would let people know in order Mm -hmm. to submit the reels in time um so i personally would love to be involved with that again and look forward to another opportunity like that. It seems like a win-win for for both the studio and the, the person trying to get in. So it seems like a great thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what Guillermo said there is right where it it is so vol- volatile, right? And it can change like that. You know, like I remember, I think around the time I started DreamWorks, originally they were going to hire like 15 animators and then that dropped down to just a handful. But then later we ended up there was like 30 in like the span of a year yeah. or something and all of this is changing from like month to month and and like Yama said based on the needs and sometimes the needs don't become apparent until mm-hmm. production's like oh my god we have to finish in six weeks and we don't have enough people and so maybe the under, underlying message is you know don't be discouraged if, if you don't see opportunities right now that can change on a daily basis like yeah. Yama said so For Disney specifically, the Apprentice program is designed to kind of set you up to work on crowds in the upcoming feature. So if the upcoming feature doesn't have a huge crowds need, then that like directly will influence the need for apprentices. So that's, yeah, that's something that influences whether they'll hold an apprenticeship or not that year. So Guillermo, we wanted to ask, um, do you notice any differences between hiring nowadays versus say like, you know, 10, 15 years ago when, when studios were hiring animators? Cause 
Um, you, you touched upon it about like the reels, the quality of reels being so good lately is, is, do you have anything to say about that? I noticed huge differences, huge differences for (laughs) sure when I graduated. So again, like, and this is all a matter of timing and like industry needs and just like the seasons and whatever else (laughs) stars aligned. Um, but at the time when I graduated, it was a very special time because most big movie studios as well as video game companies were looking to hire. So this is where, you know, computer animation was very like hot, you know, in a way. And so for the most part, most of my graduating class ended up somewhere right after college. Wow. So saying that right now, it it makes it seem surreal because that is very much not the case. And I really want people to understand that. And I I am talking about a different era, a different decade, you know, and like... For sure, we're very blessed and fortunate to to have that opportunity to work at DreamWorks and even the more rare occasion where I'm still at the same studio, you know, 13 years later <laughs> after college. Um, but that is not the case, you know, uh, nowadays. We have to be realistic uh, in the sense that there's just so many studios that are looking for perhaps more senior animators or studios that are just kind of fully staffed at the moment and they're only looking for very particular needs like to finish a movie or when they're in crunch time or if they have like marketing materials that they need help with that's when they're hiring also um at the time when i was graduating this whole idea of like new media and netflix and all these shows that are streaming all over the place and especially all this animation being outsourced you know to canada and like to other countries that was just not the norm a lot of the stuff was being done still uh in in the states and so that just adds another dynamic you know where if you want to be for example a 2d animator that wants to work on these shows maybe vancouver would be a great place for you to be in you know and maybe work in a smaller studio that receives this kind of work um if you like vfx maybe london is a great place to be in to work at i don't know npc double negative and all the studios that are working that so again like um the disadvantage being that yeah it's not so cut and dry and not so quote-unquote easy but also there's just so many other ways of going about your career you know which is kind of encouraging there's this i think it is a bit of a golden age for animation there are so many platforms that are asking for it that are paying for it that that want it um and almost like anywhere in the world like if you are an animator you have probably potential to work somewhere or to contribute towards a production. So that's exciting, but it's just it's just a different dynamic. And I think people should be aware of that and work with that, you know, with that context that, that, they, that they're in and not compare their situations with my story or my right. career path or whatever, <laughs> which is, you know, very improbable right now. Totally. One last comment. At the time, when I graduated 2006, I believe, and I could be wrong about this, but Animation Mentor was being launched that year. Wow. So the availability of online schools completely changed the paradigm right. of how one learns animation. So again, at the time, four-year brick-and-mortar school, that was the way to go. Animation Mentor, I animate, anime school, etc., etc. Completely totally valid different. options for people to learn yeah. animation and actually be really good at it when they finish it. So again, just another side note of how things are different. That's now. a really, really good point because that totally changes the game with animation mm-hmm. education in general. Yeah. Now it is time for our Inside the Animator Studio exclusive interview with Guillermo. So we'll ease into things here. We'll ask you a series of questions. The first one, what, sir, is your favorite drink? My favorite drink would have to be Garrett's Mai Tai, which I just had the pleasure to enjoy. Hey, uh. <laughs> 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 Sorry. 
<laughs> what is he doing with his phone? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we'll keep that in, but let's just keep going. My Mai Tai, you like my Mai Tais? I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for that. Yeah. I'm glad. Wow. I'm glad. That's great. It's it just happened to be this day we're interviewing you. You have your favorite drink. That's you terrific. Yeah. So That's Gary what... knew that I like free drinks and he delivered. Thank with you it. I don't so even much. know what's in a Mai Tai, but I definitely finished my, my cup. If we nothing ch- else, it was free. <laughs> for the record, we want to try to have people on the podcast. We want to make them comfortable, give them a drink experience that they like, have good food. It definitely helps. Last time I was here, I think I tried your sangria, Ashley. Now that I think of it, I only drink when I'm around Garrett for some reason. He provides all the drinks, so, so I don't sorry. know what kind of pattern there is, but anyway. That's I was going to do sangria. Being around Garrett, you feel like you need a drink? It makes me want to drink, yeah, for some you know, reason. Guys. <laughs> All right. All right. So next, is there any particular animation or shot from a movie or anything that spoke to you when you were younger and that maybe, or now or whenever, that inspires you? Yeah. One of my favorite movies is Beauty and the Beast, as is of many. And the shot that really fascinated me was a one shot where the camera is coming down and uh, Beast and Bill are dancing in the ballroom. And again, just you know, asking myself the questions like, what's 3D? What's hand-drawn? Like, how do they figure out this amazingly complex camera move and have the characters in space doing this perfect uh, dance move as well? And now we have, like, the behind-the-scenes sort of, like, you know, composite of, like, the 3D stuff and the 2D stuff, and still the magic hasn't ceased for me. Like, it's still as amazing as it was back then. That's yeah, awesome. That's awesome. James Baxter. James Baxter. Hey. I was co-workers with him at some point. Hey. He was great. He was very great. <laughs> So next question is, is there a movie or project that you are particularly proud of that you've worked on, aside from all of them? (laughs) Besides all of them, there's two that come to mind. Uh, It might not be everyone's favorite movie, but they, uh, they hold a special place in my heart because of the context behind it. So Madagascar 3, that's the first time that I got to be a character lead working with the amazing Bryce McGovern. He was a character lead for uh, Stefano, the sea lion in that movie, and I was working with Marty the zebra. And so yes. since both of them shared a lot of screen screen space, we shared um we just worked together. We collaborated, you know, pretty closely. And I learned a ton from him. And it was just a great team to work with. And I know the movie got really tough because there were a ton of characters. And especially towards the end, you, it was pretty rough just to get it done. Um, but I have only memorable moments and really fond memories of the whole project. Uh, the team was amazing. And yeah, just being given the opportunity to do that uh, was amazing. And for similar reasons, Abominable, this movie that comes out in September 27th. Hey, this hey, uh, podcast plug, comes out before or after that. Oh, we don't know. <laughs> so again, yeah, whenever this gets released, uh, I was given the opportunity to be the character lead for Jin, uh, one of the kids in the movie. And again, like amazing experience being part of the pre-production um, and working with the team and just trying to, you know, make him the best character. And I think one of, the, one of the biggest joys for me was having worked with this character for so long, just on my own and trying to, you know, rig-wreck him and build his library, but then seeing what the animators could come up with. Mm-hmm. That was just amazing. It was just mind-blowing to see how much they pushed him and the new expressions that they would find in him, new acting ideas. And that just blew my mind. So I was really happy to see that and to be a part of that too. I got to say, having when I was, I worked with Guillermo at DreamWorks and I was a TA at the time and we were working together on Abominable pretty early on. We were, and you were on Jin for a while. And, th- and Guillermo was working with Jin through some serious changes in the story. And you managed to really like nail down an awesome like personality and feel for the character. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, we, 
we all went to the rap party pretty recently and it was really cool to see the final results of it. But yeah, everyone should check out the movie. It's awesome. That's right. September 27th. September 27th. Oh, that's snap. right. Yeah. And along with what Garrett was saying there, I just wanted to reiterate that I found that movie particularly inspiring because of the leadership team in the animation department. Like, um, Ludo was the lead on Yi, Guillermo on on um, Jin, and then Anthony Hodgson was the lead on Peng. And that core group, they were so positive and hardworking and kind of rolled with all the punches of, you know, the entire studio changed leadership um, while that movie was in production. And so obviously there were all kinds of, of ups and downs that go along with that. And it kind of had a compressed schedule and but through it all, um, like we, we talked about earlier on, professionalism is so important um, in the working environment. And, and I felt like on that movie in particular, the, the animation leadership kind of personified that. And, and we're still incredibly positive and, and enthusiastic and helpful and, and made it a joy to work on that movie, even when the cards were kind of stacked against us. So props to Guillermo and the rest of the team for that. Major props. So last but not least, we wanted to ask you, is there anything you wish you knew um, going back to maybe when you were a student or, or before that or any time that you have now with your, the amazing breadth of experience you have? There are two things that I want to mention, and I hope I can articulate this well. So the first thing is that uh, I wish I had known about the ups and downs of the industry, but also the studio. Mm. particularly in the movies and the kind of projects that we work on. There are projects that you will feel personally connected to that are just, you know, they resonate with you and they are just a joy to work with. And there are projects that are not for various reasons. There are projects that you just want to sort of get done with them. Um, And the story might be great. They just might not have that personal connection with it. And so it was very um, insightful for me to learn that, you know, I'm not going to love every single project that I worked on. So to me, it was important to discover what is that constant. If there are projects that go up and down, if there are projects that are harder or tougher than others, what is that constant? And for me, are definitely my peers. So regardless of the project that I've worked on in the past 13 years, every single animator that I had the privilege to collaborate with has been amazing. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons why I go to the studio with enthusiasm and joy to this day is because I get to work with not only co-workers, but friends. You know, at this day, you know, 13 years, you get to know people pretty well. Friends that I can trust, that I can rely on, that I can show my shots to, that I can brainstorm with. And that is just an utter joy because it makes any project, regardless of your personal connection with it, just a joy to work with. Because it is the joy of animation where every shot matters and every shot counts and you're able to collaborate in that way. So that's a huge thing for me, just focusing on that. Um, sometimes you expect this sort of like, I don't know, the expectation that you'll work on this like award-winning, like tear-jerking, like emotionally fulfilling sort of thing. And it might not be that, you know, in fact, you, you, you might never get there, you know, because it's such a high standard and it's almost unrealistic to think mm-hmm. in those terms. But so what is a joy for you? Is it the process? What part of the process is a joy for you? You know, and for me, it's been the peers. The second thing that I want to add, perhaps, is, and it has to do with the... Um, emotional roller coaster that it is showing your shots and so you are showing your <laughs> oh, shots man. and it is challenging not to put all your identity or sense of self-worth into your shot so here's the thing and I, i'm sure this is 
this overlaps with a lot of industries. It's not unique to the animation industry, but you are putting a lot of yourself in your shots and it becomes a personal thing where you're showing reference sometimes, you're showing your own ideas, and this is you putting your work in front of the director and 30 people, 40 people, 50 people who are there to essentially say whether it's a good fit for the movie or not. And if it's not, they're going to have feedback. They're going to have hopefully constructive criticism. So you know that this is going to be for the better of the film, but you go back to your desk and, man, you feel down. You miss the mark. Mm-hmm. You uh, you know, didn't have the right direction for the shot or whatever. So again, it's like that connection between your personal sense of like well-being and how your shot is going. And that is also very volatile, where the very nature of a shot is to go through so many stages where you're trying different things. And all these things might be wrong or it might, me- might be uh, wrong for the moment, and then you try these different iterations and you struggle through it until you get to the final you know, stage in which it is right. But during that stage, are you able to separate your sense of self-worth and joy and happiness from the volatility of the state of the shot? And, you know, 13 years later, I can say that I still tr- struggle with that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I guess my encouragement would be as an animator and as an artist in general who will get criticism, who will get feedback, who will put a lot of yourselves out there, you had better have a worldview in which your sense of identity and sense of self-worth is outside of your work, where you are not your performance. You are mm. not the kind of work that you do, right? Mm. You have worth from somewhere else. Hopefully a source that is more stable and more permanent <laughs> than the whims and the capriciousness of directors and producers and studio executives totally. you know, saying this or that, right? So I think that's huge. I think that's something that... Um, all of us deal with the junior animator, the senior animator, and it's going back to what you were saying, Ben. Like we're all human, you know. Like and at the end of the day, we want to make the best product possible, but um, we're not just our animation. There are so many other facets to the human being than just the work that they produce. And so again, going back to the co-workers, like we all struggle together. We all, you know, metaphorically cry on each other's shoulders mm. sometimes, literally, <laughs> uh, especially at the beginning of, the, of our careers. But yeah, hopefully we can work in an environment where we're lifting each other up and we are encouraging one another and we're helping each other with our shots. Um, and so we can make the best out of, out of whatever situation we're thrown in. That is... A man. Amazing. Yeah, Nuggets that was of so well put. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Yeah. Gosh, nothing to add. <laughs> that. Yeah, that's it. Tip jar. Tip jar. Sweet. So, Guillermo, we usually do this at the end of our episode. We do a little tip. Uh, it's animation related, and we would love for you to provide a tip if you have one one of the things that i've noticed when looking at the several reels that we looked at um, is a pattern in animation and basically this is kind of like the distinguishing point between like beginner animation and almost like going more towards a pro level and that is the level of polish and one aspect of course polish polish encompasses a lot of things but one thing that i've noticed is that um, when the character parts the body parts everything moves at the same time and at the same speed okay so that's a huge thing so offsetting right but also in addition to offsetting the different body parts offset also the rotation and the translation Mm. that was a bit you know when that was explained to me and i was a dream world already and it was like oh you can actually like have something move first and then start rotating and even when it does rotate you can like offset the different axes Mm -hmm. to provide that sort of organic feel Mm -hmm. that's the kind of note like when you say make it more organic that's 
kind of sort of what it means to so just start offsetting things so not everything moves ro- robotically. Mm. That's another note you get a lot, especially like in quick real reviews like CTM, for example. It looks robotic, it looks mechanical. That's basically what it means. So just offsetting things and looking at body parts that can move a little bit quicker, a little bit slower, and uh, the rotation and the translation separating those a little bit where it makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's something that really hits home for me, actually. That was one of the toughest things that I had to learn when I was transitioning to CG from stop motion was exactly how to offset the body parts. And I like kept getting this note. And I'll add on to it by saying, like when you're learning the graph editor, there are times where you literally have to counter the body parts and the graph editor doesn't necessarily reflect what's happening mm. in the body. And that was like... One of the biggest light bulbs I ever had as I was learning CG was like the graph editor isn't really necessarily a direct relationship to what's happening because um, more specifically, some controls and some body parts will inherit animation from sort of the larger... The parent. Yeah, the parent body part and that kind of thing. So... There are situations where, yeah, you will have to counter animation, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense in the graph editor. So before we end, Guillermo, I just want to ask you quick, is there anything you would like to add? Yes, I would like to add. In addition to being a full-time animator at DreamWorks, uh, there is another initiative that I'm a part of, and that is called Paraguay Animation. As I said, I am from Paraguay, this little country in South America where their animation industry is non-existent. So me and a, a group of friends have started this organization called Paraguay Animation with the purpose and the aim to promote animation in Paraguay. For the past four years, we have organize events where basically similar to CTN and other similar events, uh, we bring speakers and we have people who are connected to the animation in the animation industry come to Paraguay and just talk about their work, talk about their careers mm-hmm. and basically encourage and um, yeah, just promote animation. How do people can, how people can get into it. And so we have a website, paraguayanimation.com and the uh, event name is called Animate in Spanish, animate.com.py for Paraguay. Mm. We have Instagram, Twitter, and actual websites that people can look at. And we would love it if there are any Spanish-speaking animators or any animator that's interested in Latin American animation. If they want to just find out more about who we are, if they want to join us, if they want to help out, we would love to hear from you. All the contact information is right there. Definitely hit us up and check out the website and everything else that we're doing. So this month, we are extending our real review lottery. Um, we wanted to give all of our listeners enough time to apply. Uh, we launched fairly recently, so we definitely want to give you all the time to write a review and submit. Thank you so much to those of you who have already submitted. Your work's awesome, and we're excited to put you in contention. Um, yes. For those of you who are not familiar with this concept, what we are currently running is a lottery where you write us a review on Apple Podcasts. And we might uh, review your work live in a stream episode or that kind of thing. Um, And this is open to people from all disciplines. It's not just animators. Um, We realize that we are all CG animators. But if you're a storyboarder or or a model or rigger, rigger, etc., we will find someone um, that we work with to help review your work. Somebody expert on the topic. Um, I think that basically covers the details. Oh, I did want to clarify that we <laughs> we realized that in the first few episodes, um, we had asked you guys to take a screenshot of the review and then email it to us. And on our website, we also have a page which has a Google form um, where you can submit that 
screenshot and your uh, your work. Um, it's, it's confusing. We know we kind of changed the process halfway yeah. through. Either either one works though, right? Either one works. Yeah. Whatever works for you, we will get it. Um, so yeah, there's basically two ways to submit your reviews and your work. Either take a screenshot, email us at animationhalfyear at gmail.com or submit it on the Google form on our website. Either way. Oh, and specifically, we are extending the Real Review Lottery to February 29th because it's a leap year this year. Happy nice. leap year, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and that about wraps this episode of the Animation Happy Hour. Thank you so much, Gamo, for being a part of this episode. It's been a pleasure. Make sure to check out our show notes. We'll have a quick recap of all the top 10 points that we covered, as well as really great examples of demo reels that have found success in the industry. I think, you know, seeing, hearing about demo reels is one thing, but seeing example of demo reels is a whole other thing that's like really enlightening. And with that, this has been Katie, Ben, Garrett, and Guillermo. Thanks for listening and happy ending!